0: Overcomers, uh, in this journey of life. We have, we have, you and I, born again believers, we have the ability. How do we have that ability? Through Christ to live as overcomers in the face of what appears as opposition of life. We live in an age and particularly the last 18 to 20 months, when we have had multi-opportunities to be faced with obstacles, life circumstances, difficulties that would challenge us and that would knock us off of our game, so to speak. And of course, that's my next introduction, is that life, people, and circumstances will throw obstacles at us. And no one under the sound of my voice is sitting wondering, I wonder what he's talking about. (laughs) No, a lot of you are thinking, I could write the book. And so we're going to deal with stuff. Our enemy has a strategy. The devil has a strategy in this, and that is to cause you and I to feel separated from the Father. He would love for us to say, where's God in all of this? I don't get it. Where's God? Where's God in what I'm facing? The difficulties, the decisions. And, and if he can cause us to feel separated from God, he'll cause us to give up. And there's imagery all through the scripture, especially the new Testament of the dropping of the hands. You plow for the kingdom of God. But when you, when you're challenged, you drop your hands. You've basically given up and the devil would love for you to give up. Now, uh, He's not necessarily looking to remove us. I mean, he, if he can remove you, that's fine. Uh, he, but what he's really wanting to do is to make us ineffective. If he can get us to give up, if he can get us to succumb, if he can get us to drop our hands and not be effective or productive in the kingdom and for the kingdom of God, the devil has won. I've always said that if there's a stalemate, Between God and the devil, the devil wins. Our intent in this whole matter is that we will not succumb in defeat to whatever we face. You've heard me say numerous times that one of my greatest um, concerns are people that I meet who have allowed circumstances to cause them to be knocked off their game, derailed in their walk, and set aside, overcome with depression, overcome with all kinds of things that that is just holding them down. We're not talking about whether they're going to heaven or not. We're talking about whether they're effective or not. And we are not just in a waiting room. I, I, <laughs> I think I have it somewhere, but I don't. When I was a teenager, I I, I probably in a class in high school, I don't know, when I should have been paying attention. I drew. I just took a piece of paper out and I wrote and made it really nice and pretty and filled in. And uh, it it just basically said, life is the waiting room for heaven. That's horrible theology. (laughs) And for, you know, it was nice that as a teenager, I was interested in those kinds of things, but life is not the waiting room for heaven. I mean, obviously we're going to go to heaven when we get done here, but we're not just waiting. Like Sean said, we're doing something and we got to be effective. And for us to be effective, we got to be overcomers. That don't mean that we're always, you know, just bubbling up with joy and whoo, no matter what's going on, but it means that we overcome that. Well, John 16. We read about Jesus. We don't just read about Jesus. And if, if you have a red letter Bible, you're, these letters are read. John 16, and, and of course, he's been talking and telling them about the comforter, about the Holy Spirit coming. Uh, and I, I'm not going to try to read all of that, but uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 25. If you could stand while we read God's word, I'm going to start at verse 25 and finish the chapter. Again, reading from the English Standard Version, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. How about that? What is he saying? You're going to ask the Father. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and, and you have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and I come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now, if I was standing there, I would have went, yeah, right. What do you think Jesus said? He answered them, do you now believe? You know what he said? Yeah, right. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. He says, no, if you think you believe, let me tell you something. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. By the way, in the Greek more accurately, in your Bible probably does this, that will the, the the word will is not there. So really and truly it should read In the world you have tribulation, but take heart I have overcome the world. You can be seated. I, you will, or you have tribulation. Life happens. That's a lot cleaner than the of the bumper stickers I've seen, and some of the things I've heard people say. But life happens. I'm not trying to give us a downer today. I'm not trying to to cause us to be depressed. I'm not trying to say, you know, just get ready for the mully grubs. No, that's the whole point. You don't have to succumb to the mully grubs because life happens. You can, or you you do. Some people do. But I want to tell you something today that, that's not going to work in feel-good, seeker-sensitive, tell-me-what-I-want-to-hear churches. And that is this. The follower of Jesus is not immune to life's difficulties. We want to say, boy, when we get saved, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to go perfect. Jesus is going to take care of everything. And uh, we want to say, man, life is nothing but a bed of roses And that's partially accurate if you remember that roses have thorns. We're not immune. Yet we have the ability to overcome the thorns, not always eliminate the thorns. There are times, there are times, and more often, I mean, quite a bit, when God removes something in front of us or removes something out of our life, especially in a case of healing, but there are also many, many times when we're facing something as Paul was when he, he was having a problem with the messenger of Satan and God didn't tell him, I'm going to deliver you from the messenger of Satan. He said, uh, my grace will get you through. My grace will get you through this. I would have been going, hey, won't you get rid of this thing? No, my grace will get you through. Speaking of Paul, If you don't mind, or if you can, turn to 2 Corinthians 11. We're going to come back to John 16 if you want to put a piece of paper there. But I just want you to see when we start talking about uh, followers of Christ not being immune to life's difficulties, this is the Apostle Paul who gave us two-thirds of the New Testament, and he's talking about some people who are boasting, and, hey, we're great for Christ. And he said, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. And, of course, he says what you're thinking. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Now, just get ready. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, which is obviously 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger, it will be—it sounds like a song in somewhere, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Skip down to verse 32. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped. His hands. Smooth, easy going life right there, huh? But here's the guy who teaches us how to overcome. And he didn't say any of those things got removed out of the way, but he learned how to overcome them. He learned to step up. Jesus said, I've spoken these things to you. I've told you that things are going to be tough so that you in me don't miss that. In me, you may have shalom. In me, you may have wellness, completeness. In me, you may have peace. You're only going to find that peace in Christ. And then he said this. He said, in the world, all right, everybody who's living in the world, raise their hand. I love some of you didn't raise your hand. That's so funny to me. <laughs> in the world, you have tribulation. You, in the world, you do have tribulation. And you will have. Oh, that is accurate, but it's to, to say that you only will have is not accurate. You got it now. Tribulation, is, by the way, is a word that means pressure. It's the, it's the word they use to describe the process of taking John Anderson's old chunk of coal and turning it into a diamond. You're going to be a diamond someday, but before you get there, you're going to get squeezed. i ought not say this, but uh, this is on my pretty wife. She, boy, she just got so scared. I know what that means. Somebody said something about blondes have more fun, and she said, yeah, but blackheads get squeezed more. (laughs) Well, I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter what color your hair is, red, whatever this is, we're all... Gonna be and are squeezed. We all are old chunk of coal becoming a diamond, hopefully someday. He said, In the world, you'll have tribulation, but take courage. Some of your Bibles will say take heart. There's several things, but it really means to take courage. By the way, take, that means take it. Take, just take, take some courage. Courage is is uh, the ability to stand and to, 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 uh, Face whatever you're facing without it deterring you. Lord help me. By the way, when I first prepared this message, I had nine pages of notes. Now I only have seven, so we're doing better. I'm just kidding. I took some of it and pushed it to next Sunday. He said, take courage. Why can we take courage? How can we take courage in the face of squeezing from life? Well, he tells us, and we sang it today. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. I have overcome. And, and of course, inherent in that statement is because he has overcome, we overcome. Because it's in him. And he said, in me, you're going to have peace. Scripture often indicates to us that God leads his children through suffering before they reach his glory. Again, that won't preach in a lot of churches who are trying to fill up big houses. But the fact of the matter is, I don't care. <laughs> his children, you and I, go through the process. As a matter of fact, one, one Aiden Wilson Tozer Says, and he's famous for saying, "What he said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. I'll read that again. You didn't expect that the end the way it did. It is doubtful, this A.W. Tozer's not me, although I agree 100% with him. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. You see, we, we modern day parents, we do, do not want to see our kids suffer anything. God says, because I love you, I'm going to hurt you. It's not going to be a permanent hurt, but I'm going to, I'm going I'm going to take your hip out of socket, Jacob. And you're going to limp the rest of your life, but you're going to limp with me. I see people who are trying to minister, trying to be ministers, trying to be pastors or whatever. Oh, Lord. There is no biblical mandate that I can think of that says a man cannot be a pastor if he's not married, if he's single. But when I have watched that happen, I've seen all kind of problems. One of the main reasons that there are problems there is because that man doesn't know what reality looks like. Come on, guys. when you get married, you, you, you deal in reality. You dealing in life. Well, wives too. But that, that's a, 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 a no-brainer. We already know that. And Paul says it this way. He says, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, which means because he overcame, we overcome. But he goes on to say this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And I don't want you walking out of here thinking, well, I need to go find something to suffer. You don't have to look for it. It will find you. The, the, the uh, purpose and the, the goal is not suffering. The goal is what we get from that challenge and how we meet that challenge. What are we going, is it going to knock us off of the pathway that we're on? Is it going to stop me? And I say that because I know way too many people that have. The word overcome in these verses, most of these verses, the word overcome is a word that simply means to have victory in the face of obstacles. The obstacles may or may not be removed, but whatever happens that we have victory over the situation, over the obstacle, that's overcoming. A guy named Kenneth Wiest, I think he's a Methodist commentator, I've used his material Several times, I think he's very good. He describes this word, nikeo. It's, he says it's in the present tense, which identifies born-again ones as continually. Everybody say continually. Continually, continually overcoming. Not just you overcome here and you overcome, that you're constantly overcoming life. The fallen world. Weist comments that the present tense describes believers as constantly overcoming The world, it is a habit of life with the saint to gain victory over the world. To go down in defeat is the exception and not the rule. It's got to be our habit of life that as we are confronted with difficulties that we go, we are overcomers in that situation. We may not change the situation, but our response to it is what's key. Can't cover it all, but the Bible talks about overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. If you if you want to turn to Romans twelve, if not, just I'll read it to you. Romans twelve, Paul talks about this. He's just given um, he's just given a great dissertation on how to get along, starting in verse nine. You know, love one another, brotherly affection. Be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. It just goes down the whole list. And then when he gets to verse 18, he says, Beloved, never event." I mean, if- verse 18, if possible, listen to this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, and as much as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. If there's not going to be peace, if there's going to be a disruption, don't let it be because of you. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by do- so doing you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not Overcome, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You and I are always tempted to be overcome by evil. What is evil? See, we want to think about demons and ghosts and those things, and that's part of the package. But the truth is, What is evil is not limited to the supernatural or the demonic realm or the immoral realm. What's evil is that which is worthless, that which is useless. It's really, and I'll get to this in a moment, but it's really what is evil is that which has the absence of goodness. So it's not just being demon-possessed and playing with Ouija boards none of that's good, but it's also what it, What in your life, as we sit here, or you sit, I'm standing, as we're here today, what is it in your life that you can dispense of that is worthless or useless in the grand scheme of your life? What is it that you embrace, what is it that you're holding on to that is keeping you from getting where you're supposed to be in God. That's evil, whatever it is. Now, I'm not going to give examples. Good, conversely, is that which provides a benefit. Evil is what is worthless and is the absence of good. Good, in this verse, is that which provides a benefit. Is your life a benefit? Because we get inundated with opportunities to embrace things, ventures, relationships that are useless and worthless. And when it comes to our being productive and effective for the kingdom of God, these things get in our way. They're evil. And when in our relationships, which is really what Paul's dealing with here, in our relationships, do do not let that which is useless overcome you, but overcome that which is useless with good. In other words, make yourself beneficial to somebody. And he he gets real specific. If you have someone in your life that is bugging you, bothering you, holding you down, trying to... uh, Give them something to eat. Give them a, a bottle of water. Heat burning coals on their head. Now you can't, you have to watch your attitude there. You can't do something nice for somebody and stand back and say, okay, God, I'm watching for the coals. <laughs> I've, I've told this story before, but I remember as a as a 19-year-old, standing in front of the Southern Baptist Church we were part of at the time, and we were troublemakers. We were tongue talkers already, and uh, some of the people there didn't care for that. And uh, 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 I was teaching a Sunday school class. I was a children's church pastor. I don't know what else I was doing. But anyway, the lady got up, just gave me down the road. I mean, she was wearing me out and I looked around the room and I said boy that guy must be pretty bad and of course she was talking about me but I made it my purpose I don't know where I got this except from the grace of God but I made it my purpose I was not going to re- retaliate I was not going to answer the charges cuz they were just fluff and garbage and I said I didn't say and I and I've also made it my purpose that I was going to be nice to this lady who was a family friend her her husband and my daddy worked together. She probably was your Sunday school teacher at one time. But I just said, I'm going to be as nice to her as I can. I'm going to let this go. And and I did. And we were out in in the churchyard, the two of us. We probably hadn't even been married a year. And here she come. I thought, oh, Lord, she, she hadn't had enough. She's going to bring some more. So, young people, watch this. You you probably hadn't seen this before. But I reached over the side of my door, and I took this little handle in the door, and I started doing like this. (laughs) I rolled down the window, and she was crying, tears. She come running over there and took her head in the window, and she said, I am so sorry. She said, I don't know what this means, but she said, they put me up to it. I don't know who they were," she said, "and I should never have listened to them. And I should never have said the things about you that I said. I don't know what I said. I didn't punch her, <laughs> but I said, you, you know, obviously I accept your apology. You, you can really, you can really get, catch more flies. What is it with honey and vinegar or something like that? When faced with evil, repay it with good. Peter tells us something in just a little phrase, and I got to pick it up, or you're going to be here too long, or you're, I'm going to be here by myself. <laughs> in Second Peter two nineteen b, he said he makes this statement: "For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved." Some versions will say that to that he is in bondage. Whatever overcomes you and whatever overcomes me, to that I become enslaved. The word there, even though it says overcome, it's a little different meaning. It means to succumb or subdue. It means to be forced to yield by whatever the evil is that I'm wanting to succumb to. It It actually means to make one inferior. In other words, there is... An attack by the enemy to cause you and me and to push us down so that we're inferior or at least feel inferior with evil. Peter said, If you if you give in to that, you're gonna be in bondage to that. Not only do we have to guard against being overcome by evil we overcome. We also overcome the influence of the world. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture here, so I'm going to make less commentary. I, the, you heard me say, and Brother Charles said, the Bible sheds a lot of light on the commentaries. And I, I think the Scripture many times speaks for itself. We, we, we're, we're intimidated by the Scripture, and we, oh, boy. Anyway, just listen. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. In other words, if you have God's breath in you and you have God's DNA in you, you have overcome the world already, even though you might have been lied to and that you weren't, that you're not. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And our faith is not in being over, being overcomers. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that the object of our faith is not what Jesus does, but it in who Jesus is. He says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's the overcomer. And when, when John is using these, writing these verses, he's using the word world there. And that word simply means the world system that is alienated from and opposed to God. That's the world system that does not know God. It's alienated from God, opposed to God. Do we see or hear anything today that would indicate that society or the world system is in opposition to God. Well, you've been living in a cave if you haven't heard or seen that. And yet ringing in our ears are the words of Jesus, I have overcome. We got the world... As in Romans twelve one says, uh, "Do not be conformed to this world." And the J.B. Phillips, which is a great translation or paraphrase, I'm not sure what he called it, uh, says, "Do not allow the world to squeeze you into their mold." The world would love to squeeze you into their way of thinking. They would love for you to to. Uh, disassociate from your good theology and create your own theology. I just heard the other day about somebody who had decided that they believed this, but the Bible said this, and so they decided, forget the Bible. I'm embracing this. Boy, you're in a dangerous place when you do that. I have overcome. Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I'm not talking about not going to heaven. I'm not talking about losing salvation. Uh, The writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who are Christians who have been contemplating because of persecution, because of suffering, because of obstacles, they've been contemplating going back into Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that that'd be a big mistake. Don't, don't uh, have an unbelieving heart that would lead you to fall away from the living God, but exhort in one another, encourage one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to encourage one another daily. You need to let people encourage you. You you don't need to just grab your bootstraps. I got this. Sometimes I've tried to help people over the years. Hey, I can help you with that or talk to you. No, I got it. I got it. And then then a little while later, I'm reaching down in the quicksand and pulling them out. I'm thinking, I don't think you got it. And they say, no, I don't. Colossians 4.4 4 says this, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas, which is one of their cohorts, one of their travelers, one of their, part of their ministry team, Demas. Then when he writes his second letter to Timothy, look what he writes. For Demas, same guy, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas part of the ministry team. Somewhere along the way, the, he entertained the world system. He did not overcome the influence of the world, and now he's deserted Paul. He's created his own doctrine, probably. First Timothy, he writes, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. You don't want to be handed over to Satan so you can learn not to blaspheme. Again, we're not talking about heaven, we're not talking about whether they're saved or not. We're talking about he's handed them over because they have made a shipwreck of their faith. In second letter to Timothy, he writes this word, which is often quoted, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. The old King James there says, Study to show yourself approved. And sometimes we've limited that verse to just being a student of the scriptures, and that's obviously part of it. But he's saying, Be diligent to present yourself approved. Be diligent to be a workman and accurately handle the word of, everybody say, truth word of truth every hour that passes the importance of you and I embracing the truth increases the necessity of us not compromising the truth grows every day because there's so many other possibilities he says avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness. And then watch the next one. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Amanius and Philetus. Here's a man who was with him in his ministry team, and now his talk is being described as gangrene. Why? Because he loved the present world, because he was overcome by the influence of the world system. And you and I live in the world every day, You go to work, you deal with people, you deal with systems every day. And we are very, very tempted to allow the thought processes and the mentality and the philosophies of the world system to become ours. He describes them as men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. They upset the faith of some. Over the years, I have watched people stray. I have watched people come up with false doctrine, like the resurrection already taking place, resurrection of the of the saints. I've watched people slip off into uh, ideas, and, and I can't even describe some of them because I'd be embarrassed. But, but I'm going to tell you this. Not one time, not one time in the, I don't know how long, however long I've been a Christian. I've been I've licensed to preach in 1974. Not one time have I met a person who was rightly submitted to godly authority who ever got into that nonsense. Rightly submitted. Accountable is maybe a better word. Not one. I've seen pastors Get out of get get out of whack, but I hadn't seen one pastor who was accountable to somebody really accountable. Get off into lagoons and create their own doctrines. It hadn't happened. Finally, we're to overcome the wicked one. A reminder that when we start talking about overcoming the wicked one, that Colossians says when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having try everybody say triumphed over them through him. Jesus was the victor at the cross and at the resurrection that he made an open show, an open display of the enemy and his train of e-imps, demons, triumphed over them. I've told you this before, the word triumph there carries with it the word trophy. In other words, the, the devil and his army became the trophies of Jesus Christ in victory. Let's never, never forget that. But we also are reminded that Peter said, Be sober minded, be watchful. In other words, watch what you're doing. Your adversary, you do have an adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion and he's seeking someone to devour. He's seeking someone to knock them off of the rail, he's seeking someone to cause them to be depressed. He's seeking someone to take their attention off of the truth. It could be you. It could be me. Thank God. Our hope to God is not. But we overcome when we stand. And when we allow the grace that God gives us to get us through that thing. He says, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And then he says, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. Now, he's not talking about barbells. You're strong, and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. There's no accident that those two sentences are together because of the word of God that abides in you, then you are able to overcome because you have the truth. And when you have the truth, it will set you free from all that other stuff. Please let the word of God abide in you. You say, what does that mean? Yes. That's what it means. Let the word of God abide abide in you and you do that you will find a natural ability to overcome when the enemy or the world or evil comes your way and wants to tempt you to take a detour if you're abiding in his word you won't do that you will you will say to yourself that does not witness in my spirit because i have hid god's word in my heart that i might not sin against him and when that bumped up against what was in my heart, I said, uh-uh, I'm not going there because the word of God abides in you. John said in 4.4, on his first letter in 4.4, he said, greater, y'all know what I'm going to say, greater is he, capital H, Greater is he who is in you than he, little h, that's in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is the power and the strength and the grace that is within you, residing within you, than than the power and the strength of the evil one who's running around trying to find somebody to devour. By the way, I like the fact that it says Peter writes that he's he's ro- uh, roaming around like a roaring lion, because as we said, he's already been defeated. If we don't believe his lies, he has no place. First John three eight said the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Did you see the first two words of this? The reason why Jesus come? Well, among among other things, the reason was to destroy the works of the devil. It's the works of the devil that would hold you down. We do have the ability to overcome the wicked one. We do have the ability to be strong like these young men, and some of us can might need to work on being strong like young men. But They were strong, not because they were young. They were strong because the word of God abided in them. It's 1105. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Overcame by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. Our testimony that we have is because of the blood of the lamb. Without the blood of the lamb, we have no testimony. But we do have a testimony. Someone said that a person with a testimony is not at the mercy of a person with a theory. you have been there, done that, nobody can tell you what it might be like because you already know. I'll finish up again from the Spirit-Filled Life Bible notes. This passage portrays Satan as cast down to the earth, confronting and accusing the citizens of the kingdom of God. The primary weapon of the people of God against Satan is the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Christ, the Lamb, causes the people of God to prevail. Because it answers all, everybody say all, of the enemy's accusations. Satan controls and defeats humankind through guilt and accusations. He is a blackmailer. However, the saints know that the blood has satisfied all, say all, all of the charges against them and joined them to God and provided them with every necessary provision to defeat Satan. The blood has established an unassailable bond with a sovereign God. Imagine being, having an unassailable bond with a sovereign God. That's you. That prevents Satan from separating the embattled Christian from God's eternal and complete resources. God, has declared us righteous and victorious through the blood of Christ. And, of course, that's from Charles Simpson. Overcomers. I, I pray that no one under the sound of my voice is in danger, but some may be of, fi- of or was in danger before today of getting to that place where we were just about to throw our hands down. So, Lord, I'll, I'll be over here if you need me. Overcomers, overcoming the world, overcoming evil, overcoming the wicked one, not letting the pressures of the world define us, that we would find that grace and that strength from Jesus because we are joint heirs with Jesus. We're also joint heirs in his overcoming, and we can make it. You can make just like the Cajun said in Waterboy. You can do it. By the grace and the power and the strength of God. Do you agree with that? Stand with me.